0: Good morning. morning. It was a few years ago that uh, I was actually in Newfoundland, and I was reading through Philippians 3. We're not there yet. We'll get there. I was reading through Philippians 3, and I had the task of, of meeting with some students there and asking the question, what was it about Jesus that changed Paul so much? What was it about Jesus that led Paul to leave a life that was so... Uh, famous and so profound, so so rich to to a life of persecution and and that question really stuck with a specific group of students. That question landed with about twelve Muslim kids who had left the Middle East to come to North America to get a collegiate education. and as we as they came to me with that very question afterwards, they come from a world. Where it's very disciplined, and they understand Semitic culture, and they come from a culture where they understand honor and suffering. And so, when they came to me, they said, "What? What was it about Jesus? Like, why would Paul write, like I would choose one day here in chains than that life? Why that old life where I had everything? I was the Jew of the Jews. Why was it that Paul or would?" would take that name and leave the life of Saul of Tarsus where he was it. Why did he do that? And I said, all we can point to is the words of Jesus. So we looked at passages where he said, What what gaineth you if you gain the entire world but lose your soul? And these men who understood a life of suffering and there was honor therein, three of which gave their life to Christ before I left Canada, And I don't say that because of the opportunity that I played in that role. I I say that because as I've been studying back through Philippians and we've been doing this series, as I I find myself reading the, the words of Paul, I'm finding a couple things. That Paul is a man, like a grown man, mature and transcendent, like beyond where I am. I'm a boy, I'm a child. I don't read and I don't write like this. You know, when I, when I look at these words, and we're going we're to look at the famous text today, one of the most quoted uh, scriptures that was quoted by Paul. To live is Christ, to die is gain. I, I am not that mature. Can I admit that to you? Like I'm inspired by that. I want to be there, but I, I read it, and today we're going to look at what it takes to be there and i have to ask the question before we before we say yes i want to be there and before we look at what it takes to get there are we okay to at least engage in the conversation are we open to change because it's it's kind of like um it, like in the slightest of terms like we live in the marvel days right like the marvel movies like the marvel universe exists and we go to the marvel movies and i remember the words of like the villain uh, group, uh, Hydra in Captain America. You remember the any kids? Okay. (laughs) So like I'm watching Captain America with my kids and Hydra is this villainous organization and there's this one saying they have that kind of Uh, pronounces how mature they are or like how much they've learned that it is there's honor and suffering they they say cut off one head and two will take its place they know there's a resolve in this that to live or die the mission will continue and like an unstoppable force will come to fruition whether they live or not and there's no outside interference that's going to stop it they're giving their lives for it they believe in it. This is Paul's resolve as he's writing to Philippi. This is like the last words of a dying man on his bed. This is the bedside blessing, if you will. He, at this point in his life, doesn't know whether he is going to live or to die. And so I didn't know what else to title today's message other than to live or to die. And he sits here bound. He doesn't know if he's going to make it or not. And let me, let me just let you know a little secret. He doesn't make it. He doesn't know if he's going to get out or not. Two years from the point of him pinning this, his head's coming off. And he's at this amazing place of clarity. And quite honestly, he's at this unbelievable place of priority. And his final words are not mixed. He's not wasting time. He's resolute and wants to speak life with the few words that he has left. I don't know if you heard it last night as we open, or sorry last week as we opened this letter, um, and Paul's addressing those who had mixed motives, the preachers that didn't like him, and instead of fighting for his way, or getting caught up in some uh, middling drama. He just simply says this, uh, so what? Like, what's it matter? Like, the words of a grown man come pouring out of his mouth, like a true man, not a boy, they pour onto the paper, and we're today, thousands of years later, still reading it, and today we're going to pick up right where we left off last week, Um, because he goes even further in this resolve. And I got to tell you, like, if last week shocked you, hold on. Philippians 1, verse 18, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motive or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Can I ask you, can I ask you to do something for me? Is it okay? I feel like this text is just so profound. And if we're not careful, we'll, like, miss it. We'll just, like, right over it. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Before I read another word, I'm going to ask you to stand. In the honor of what he wrote here, by the inspiration of the Spirit, I'm going to read on. The second part, part B of 18, chapter 1, it says, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. If I'm going to live on in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with you all for your progress and joy in the face so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound. On account of me. Father, as we look at this text, I pray that you would be glorified, that your son Jesus be honored, and you would smile upon your people as you uh, stir in this room by the power of your spirit. I pray that we would just please you by our admonishment of what you've done and by our response to that very spirit pricking our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. And be seated. So he says, What does it matter? Whether their motives are impure or my life be taken. Like, what's it matter? So what? Whether their motives are impure and they don't like me or I don't live to see tomorrow, who cares? Anyone in here write like that? Anyone here have that kind of resolve? Like, it's okay. It's going to be good. Christ is preached. And will be exalted. So I choose a posture of worship. I choose to rejoice. I choose joy over my own justice as the mission of his kingdom continues to advance every time the gospel of Jesus is preached and captives are set free. Paul has a resolve because he has two words he is convicted and he is courageous. These two words are our first point, and I only have one more point, so we're going to go through it quick. I hope you just pay attention. He is convicted, and he's courageous. But what does it matter? The important thing in every way, whether false motive or true, Christ is preaching. Because of it, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. He's committed to a cause, and that cause exceeds him. It's transcendent. It goes beyond his life and beyond this flesh. Paul is choosing to rejoice, though the end is uncertain. And his pain is imminent. How many of us, if we knew we were going to suffer, we'd be as in as he is right here? We know beyond a shadow of doubt. Paul can say with confidence, he wrote it, that the only thing I'm certain of is that wherever I land, wherever I go, chains await me. At this point, by the time he's written this letter, here's what he's gone through. 30 years have passed since he came to Christ on that Damascus road. Three decades, and here it is. He's been shipwrecked, he's been stoned and left for dead. He's been whipped at least three times to the Jewish maximum of 39 lashes on the back. He's been flogged, he's been bitten by a poisonous snake just trying to gather firewood for the folks that shipwrecked him in the first place. He was trying to be nice and then he has a viper bite him. He has been imprisoned repeatedly and he says, you know what? I rejoice. Even as those people who hate me out there, they're preaching and they tighten my chains, I get tortured, I I am good with it. You know, he'll go on and write, I want to know Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings. I hate the chains, but I love what they're producing. How does someone get to this point? When you are when you born in America where we, how many, how many of us have a tendency to take the path of least resistance? If I can sidestep any sort of suffering or persecution, I'll do it. Hands raised, just nice and honest. Like, this is, this is me. I believe the reason this is hard for us to grasp, and maybe we even breeze over it far too often. How many of you, this is not the first time you've heard this before? You've read this before. I need your mind on it, though. I don't need you to miss it. I think the reason we miss this too often is because we are not ingrained in a culture that understands honor through suffering. Much of the world around us, outside of our, our borders, they understand this. They understand there's, there's honor in suffering and we're gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point to a passage where Paul tries to explain it a little bit to us. You heard it written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. He said, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Paul takes it a step further even as he writes the Romans, but they choose a posture of worship that is for their certain pain and their uncertain end. Hello? They don't know when they're going to take their last breath, but here's the thing. They're going to worship till their last breath. And they're not worried and not concerned. They're not concerned about how it may affect them. In fact, they're honored in how they might find suffering. The next point he says is, uh, verse nineteen. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Well, the truth is this: He doesn't know. He says that he prepares himself because of the prayers of the body. And because of the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, I love that. He doesn't just say the Holy Spirit, he actually says, The one who is like Jesus indwells me and has gifted me and empowered me, strengthens me to go through this. It gives me the courage that I need to continue. And it is the prayers of those who know me. He's known by the church at Philippi. This was the first church that he planted as he moved west through Europe, remember? And so he is known by this people. To the Corinthian church, he wrote to them. He said, I want want you to know that I'm most exalted. The Lord is most exalted in my weaknesses. He's not putting on airs. He's not trying to be something he's not. He's admitted the places where he himself is frail. Let me ask you a question. How many of you are really comfortable with sharing your faults with those around you? How many of you are really comfortable sharing your faults with those that you're in spiritual community with? Paul is being prayed for by a church that knows all his faults, and he's not putting on airs. He's not trying to put something out there that isn't him. They recognize and they respect who he was in Judaism. But now in Christ, he says, I'm not perfect. I'm not a perfect man. And everything that, is, that making the decision to follow Jesus has brought me is nothing but pain and sorrow and suffering. I have a thorn in my flesh that continues to struggle with me. I'm not perfect. But I feel strength by not only the presence of the Spirit that dwells within me, but by the prayers of the body who knows me. How in the world can we feel strength in the prayers of the body if nobody knows us? How can we, if we're not vulnerable enough to admit our own faults and our own struggles, Put our sin before the people and say, this is my thorn. I can't walk without, I don't, I need you praying for me. It daily hits me. It daily requires me to fall at his face and take up his cross and walk with him again. But it is going to be here tomorrow morning. It is going to meet me in an hour. And I need you to know it so that you can pray for me and that I can feel those prayers strengthen me as I walk through life. This is what Paul's saying. What gives me this resolve? The prayers of the body that knows me and the presence of the Spirit of Jesus Christ within me. It makes him courageous, it gives him an ability to move beyond his weaknesses. His presence and the prayers sustain him as he goes through. <laughs> As he goes through the litany of things that I just read. Imprisonment, beating, stoning, shipwreck, left for dead. This is not like I chose Jesus and I aspired to CEO and I got rich. In fact, he was all those things and got the opposite in Jesus. And he says in Philippians 3, I consider my old life rubbish. I do it again for one day in chains with him. A life of that I would put aside for one day with him. Verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. Whether, listen, whether I live or die. If I die, he's going to be exalted. If I live, it's because I can take it. Can you take it? How many of us just admitted we take the path of least resistance more times than not? We always sidestep suffering. That's not Paul. Paul's transcendent. He's beyond. He's gone beyond that. And he says, I want the hardest route so that Christ be most exalted in me. I want the thing most difficult for me so that Christ be most glorified. I have courage in this. Man, how many of you, like, remember watching Braveheart? And you felt something inside of you as you sat on your couch watching that movie. And William Wallace, like, runs in front of the rest of the Scottish, you know? And he's going, you know, you, yeah, run and you may live for a while. But, you know, you'll die later in your beds. How many of you remember that, that famous speech at the end? And, like, you felt your hair stand on end. You were, like, felt something well up. Like, that's inspired. I want to do this. I want to go fight for my freedom. I'm Scottish, you know. Paint my face blue. Put on a kilt. Like, I feel myself start to well up with the inspiration that's found in that heroic speech. And he's leading men into death. And he says, give your life now for the freedom of your countrymen or you can run and retreat because the army is countless comparatively. And you can die later regretting that you didn't stand and fight right now, that you didn't take it. You see, those are the things that even in American culture, that's what we write stories about. That's why we have the Marvel Universe. That's, we, we, we talk about the teenager who gets bit by a spider and can climb walls. like. We talk about the least qualified becoming the most qualified because of pain and suffering. What we don't celebrate? Some guy sitting in his barca lounger with a remote eating chips. Not the picture of courage. Hello? You know what I'm saying? We don't write stories about that. That movie's not long. (laughs) Nothing to that. But which one do we look more like? Who do we look more like? I sprained my hand, eating chips. (laughs) You know? Sitting in my barca lounger, comfortable. I can't believe HBO went out. Does it make sense? You hear what I'm saying? Who do we look more like? Are we, William Wallace, leading the troops who are in, like, really bad odds into war to fight for freedom. Or are we, we frustrated because we hit the last bag and the last chip and there's just crumbs left? Suffering. You know? Here's uh, Can I have Romans 5, please? Here's, here's what I want. Paul wrote these words. And he starts to unpack and explain a little bit how he became who he is and how we move from being Barkalounger courageous to like William Wallace courageous, okay? He says it like this, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. If you're looking at this in your scripture, circle some words here, okay? I wish I could do it, but we don't got that kind of technology. Here it is. Circle sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance circle those words we don't get to we don't get to perseverance without what suffering we don't grow to courageous without what that's what he's saying let's move on perseverance character and character hope so what builds perseverance? Say it, suffering. What builds character? What builds hope? It's progressive, it's linear. The only way we get to the place where we have hope is if we start at suffering. Otherwise, what are you hopeful for? If you can't identify a place of suffering, then what are you hoping on? And see, in Paul's life right here, it's not only just the hope of one day being with Jesus, which he's going to write about. It's not just the hope of eternity. He is in chains, bound to a guy, writing these letters. No freedom in and of himself. He has no control over his own life. He has a practical, tangible example staring at him all the time. I have hope. Because I've suffered. I have had the character of Christ built into me, thrust into me, with every flogging, every beating, and the the every set of shackles. And if they take my life, I promise I will not be ashamed that Christ will not allow my testimony to go down as a laughing stock. Though I walked away from Judaism, though I was the Jew of the Jews and I should be celebrated in that culture. And I walked away from it to become a prisoner here in chains writing to you with nothing but beatings and floggings and stonings and left for dead. Even a stupid snake bites me and I got to struggle through the fever. I was trying to help someone else. No one's going to make fun of me. Why? Because I chose Christ, and Christ will not allow me or my name to be ashamed because I am a picture for you. Let me read on. He is conflicted, yet he is convinced. And I think I wrote the point this way, convicted and convinced. I know it's not the best English. I struggled with this, actually. But I think it's the only way that this text reads that you can write this. He says in verse 21, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I go on living in the body, this would mean fruitful labor for me. What shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. It's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. He's not talking about himself. He's looking at a win-win either way. He says, I'm not here long enough to have an opinion. Let me say that again. I'm not here long enough to have an opinion on the matter. I'll serve where it's, Where I'm led, I'll serve where God directs me, and I don't care if I suffer. My suffering only produces hope and character, and that suffering is for you. I don't, I don't need it. If I die, I get to go on and be with Him. That's my reward. So I walked away from being Jew of the Jews to only walk into thirty some odd years of just persecution and pain, but that was so that I would have an eternity with Him in peace. And that 30 years of pain is only to encourage you, to inspire you, that you can know that you can do it. We can take it because Christ took it for us. It's subtle, but here's the thing. Paul is actually speaking of a bondage that goes far beyond his physical cuffs. It's just to say, like, again, the litany, right? Shipwrecked, stoned, scourged flogged to the highest penalty in the law it's almost as if what he's saying is the where i'm bound isn't these chains it's right here this fleshly casing is in fact the thing most incarcerating for me my soul is already beyond this my heart's already somewhere else my heart belongs to the lover of my soul, and I am already at that place with him. But if he chooses to allow me to stay, it's for you. Because all I think about, all I desire is to be with him. This flesh this flesh has me bound. This flesh is continued struggle. This flesh continues to bring pain. But I want you to know that I'm beyond that. I want you to know that I'll take it in this fleshly cell that my soul is bound to until he calls me home. But my mind and my heart, my desire, my soul, they're already with him. I'm a a citizen of heaven more than I am Roman. I'm a citizen of heaven more than I am a minister on this earth. But if I am to live, it is for Christ. It's whatever he desires. I'm not only going to serve where it's warm. Anyone hate cold weather? I'm not only going to serve as long as it's near family. I'm not only going to serve where it's most comfortable for me. Wherever he beckons, I go and I don't care because I'm not here long enough to have an opinion and because I'm willing to go wherever he would send me. Anyone ever signed off on an email like that? Wherever he goes, I'll send, wherever he sends, I'll go. You know what I'm talking about? Here I am, send me. How many of you have ever like sent that and just now you recognize it's on your email and you're like second guessing that now? <laughs> and I didn't even think what I was saying. Like. Paul says he's convinced of this, that if I remain, I will continue for all of you. Here's what I want you to encourage. Paul is not saying that he's convinced he's staying. That would negate what we just read of him. Can I be clear? Some commentators want to say that he's convinced that he's getting out. What he's saying is this. He's convinced that he knows that, that Christ will be exalted in his life whether live or die. And he kind of feels like, I know how Christ works. I'm likely get to get out of here. There's probably some more suffering for me in this, but that's, that's really for you and for your benefit. So I may get out. Spoiler alert, he doesn't. I might get out, but I'm convinced of this and I'm not gonna be ashamed. And I'm convinced of this, my li- the life of Jesus in me will be exalted either way. He hopes to physically return to them because he's heard about the troubles in Macedonia and how things around Philippi have started to rise up and he believes that he can go and help. But he has no trust in the judicial system. He's got no guarantees. He hasn't placed his full hope in his temporal outcome. He is hoping and he is banking on something beyond this place where his body still breathes. How many of you have lived a life that you're proud of? How many of you have some regret? This is what Paul's convinced of. Paul's convinced that whether he live or die, the testimony of how he's lived for Jesus will continue to inspire. And that's why we're reading about it thousands of years later. But it's because he made an investment um, that looks different than the way that most of us invest. This man is like Isaac, Isaac giving his bedside blessing away to one of his sons. Jacob steals it. It was intended for Esau. I'm going to use an illustration, and I'm running a risk. I'm going to ask Andy to come and help me. Um, I run this risk because I know how illustrations can sometimes win or fall flat. But I'll take the risk, okay? It's not mine. It didn't originate with me. Uh, My mentor showed me this years ago, and I'm pretty certain it didn't originate with him. So the point is this. I want you to see it. As Andy walks this very long rope all the way down the middle aisle and out those doors, I want you to imagine that that rope has no end. And it continues. He's going to take a walk outside these doors, beyond this campus, beyond Donaldson, around the globe multiple times and then somewhere off into the universe because this rope represents eternity. And that's what he's carrying. And this right here, The Bible says your life is but a vapor. This pink tape, this handle, represents your life and mine. My question is, what investment are you making? Are you investing in this? Are you investing in this? Where are you spending your time, your mindset, your energy, your love, Paul has already transcended beyond here. He says to live or die it doesn't matter. I won't be ashamed. To, To die is gain for me. I get to be with Jesus. I get to be with the lover of my soul. My heart's already there. That's where I'm investing. This is, I don't have long enough to have an opinion on the matter. I've had 30 years of pain. And he doesn't know it, but he's two years from death right here. And I bet his last 30 steps were probably preaching. Probably preaching the one who changed his heart before he stepped into eternity and had no end with Jesus. I bet that he walked up and the one who's going to take his head off heard the power of Jesus' name and how it changed his life, and how he was willing to walk away from fame and fortune and everything the world offered to sit here at this guillotine. What investment have you made? In the end, will the people in your life, your children, your your spouses, your kids, will they know that you spent more time With the mind of Christ focused on what would come in eternity, where your soul bears as a resident of heaven, or that they know you as a Nashvilleian, who lived with everything directly in front of you, sidestepping all suffering and all persecution for the most comfortable life you could possibly have, what gaineth a man if he gaineth the entire world and he lose his soul? Are we that resolved? To live or to die is a win-win. To live on is not for me, it's for others. It's about the life of Christ in me being exalted and not ashamed so it can inspire those around me. But to die is to go on. Are we investing in the temporal? Are we investing in the eternal? What makes your home tick. What produces character and hope the thing that we keep sidestepping. Father, we love you and we thank you so much that you have honored us with the ability to not only have life, but to know life in its fullness. Life in its fullness means to be a people who are so inspired, by the hope and the peace and the joy and the love that we have in Jesus that it transcends the pain and the suffering or the temporal nature of this world and all of its promises, though fleeting and passing. Jesus, as we come to this place, there may be people in this room who don't know you. And so they don't have the hope of eternity with you. All they have is is the world, all its pain and its promises, and a, an eternity of suffering. God, if that's anyone in this room today, and they say, no, I want to know this, Jesus. I want to be free. I want to see my heart change. I want to see my perspective change. I want to be able to know him and find peace and joy like Paul that would cause him to give up a life of fame and fortune, to have an eternity of peace in your presence. God, if that's someone here today, may today be the day of salvation. But Father, if we as a church today who know you are more focused on the temporal than we are the eternal, then God forgive us. May we repent of that today. Whether it be your altar, and these seats, or at your table. May we remember the sacrifice that gave us life. And may we be a people willing to give our own in Jesus' name.